Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. We have now a frequent flyer on the show, Dr. Steven Johnson. He was with us about a year ago. We're also just crossing over to 101 episodes, so we're officially in the triple digits. This is really exciting for me. There's a lot that's been happening around the world. We're not going to really be talking about world events specifically, but we're going to be talking about CBRN. We're going to be talking about um, you know training, possibly. He made a comment, so just to set the stage, he made this comment last time on the episode where he talked about how people don't really train at night, they don't really go all in, and so there's a lot of planning assumptions that are missed by a lack of training, and we wanna dive into the how today. So if you're an audience member and you're listening in and you're having to create training, this is your opportunity to learn from experts to say, okay, this is the things that I need to start thinking about. And uh, with that being said, Dr. Steven Johnson, welcome to the show. Hey, John, it's lovely to be back. So do I get a reward card stamp somewhere? Uh, I, yeah, I think you get a challenge coin at this point, um, if you want to take that. Um, you're wearing, so most of our audience obviously is audio, but you're wearing green. That reminds me of um, Jolly Green, our other professor at Georgetown, who'd always wear green shirts. Kirby, I think his name is. I should, right, yeah. I should remember his name. Um, hopefully he's doing well. Um, in terms of like Georgetown to Cranfield to, I mean, last time on the episode, let's let, you talked about you're doing so many initiatives and you talked, you were talking about how busy you are. So before we get into like the meat of the conversation of training, I just want to remind people, or I want you to, to remind people as they've been dealing with COVID for the last two years and they they're doing with maybe other stuff and hurricane season's coming up. How do you multitask? How do you keep your head above water when there's a mountain of things to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think like all people that, that multitask, uh, somewhere behind there is a really supportive family um, mm. that, that not only enables you to do that, but also is uh, strong enough to remind you when maybe you need to take a break uh, and, and pull you away from that work as well. Mm. Uh, but I think that's that's probably the key thing. But Weirdly for me, the so with my multitasks of, of uh, the military, academia, and policing, I find that different ones recharge me. So mm. the, the multitasking is isn't so difficult because I find that you know doing the academia is great, but then I like to get out and um, do a shift as as a police officer. And, and so random, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, you're just like oh, I'm going to go relax by being a police officer, which yeah, I don't think totally, most people would totally. say. But, Pretty much the face that, that my sergeant sort of looks at me is like, "Why? How is this relaxing?" I'm like, "Well, it's not reading papers, so you know." Yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the key things. It's if you enjoy the stuff that you're doing, that it, it becomes a lot easier to multitask. Um, uh, but yeah, being able to actually say maybe enough is enough is also a pretty important part of that too. I think. Excellent. I like the idea. I mean, obviously, you're so ingrained in so many different areas, and I. I would venture to believe that you enjoy all those areas, but even though you like that one area, you need different angles of mental stimulation, right? Yeah. You, you need to do something different, even physically different. And so like I've had a lot of friends just talk about how ex exhausted they are after two years of like the same incident. And I'm like, well, that's not the only thing that's been happening in the world. Like what else are you doing? Yeah. And um, you know, good call out of like, even if you enjoy your job, it's okay to say, I'm going to do something else I enjoy here for a little bit and then jump back in. And, um, you know, like uh, actually my wife does this. My wife is a phenomenal designer. 
the, even she steps away from her projects, you know, just to like refresh, get back in. And she's actually much more effective by doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why she is so successful is because she, you know, she uses this model, the same kind of model of refresh, jump in, refresh, mm -hmm. jump in. And we know that in emergency management, don't we? I mean, it's like one of the key things that managers are, are taught regard monitoring the rest staff is be careful about the person who just keeps wanting to keep going and, and won't That's take right. a break. And you just see that that effect start to diminish that no matter how enthusiastic they are, you're going to start deteriorating. You need to yeah. have that break. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. we. Um, I just talked to a security expert on the show. His name is Zach Borst. And um, he was talking about the benefits of being a generalist. And I think that's, uh, is it, I think I actually hilariously referenced your episode because you were talking about as soon as you stop learning as a subject matter expert, you're not a subject matter expert anymore. Yeah. And um, the way he was basically saying is like, um, look, if, if I'm interested in like 10 different topics, maybe I'm not an expert in that one specific topic, but because I know all of these things, I'm able to be much more influential because oh, I can totally. I can reach out to the right people, so you can and you can spark those links. The um, you know these these lovely ratios that people talk about the sort of the was it the five to one or wherever it is where you you know you should be doing an hour of CPD every day or an hour mm. of learning every day. Um, but I, one of the things which I strangely think is really valuable, but it's quite difficult to work out how to do it, is is doing something which just doesn't seem related. You're not really sure it's going to be beneficial at all. Right. Um, because, um, and I had an example recently where I was saying to, strangely to a training provider that, that teaches hazmat advisor courses. Hmm. I said, I'd, I'd like to send some people to it. Um, you know, and they're CBRM responders. And he said, well, uh, do you not want me to do a special course for you? Because that's not really going to, it's going to be a load of stuff on the course, which I don't think is really relevant for them. Hmm. I said, no, I've, there's two reasons why I want to send them on the course. One is, let's see what they think when they when they sort of have that impact. Mm. And the second aspect is, I want them on the course with those hazmat advisors who are going to go off and be hazmat advisors because actually that's the second aspect of the course. It's not just what you're delivering as content. It's the people they're interacting with on the course as well. Um, mm. And um, yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, in the end, he's quite happy to take my money. <laughs> Um, I'd be happy to take your money too if you're willing to uh, continue <laughs> yeah. to shout money. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, it, it is you know some of the strangest breakthroughs I've had are when I've turned up to a meeting or signed up to a course where I've gone, yeah, I'm just interested in this, but I don't know how this is going to be relevant to me. But um, mm. you know, maybe it is. Or jumping in on a meeting, a recent one on artificial intelligence um, and uh, the use of artificial intelligence to improve decision making. Uh, and they weren't yes. really looking in my area at all, but you look at it and you start thinking, hey, hmm, this this actually could be quite useful within emergency management. Um, and uh, I haven't looked at the moment, but I, I, I'd like to think there are people considering how artificial intelligence could contribute to that at the moment. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster-tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radiocoms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, 
the XL Extreme Series can take a beating. 1,700-degree blast of heat, repeated 3-meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme Series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Okay, let's jump back in. Well, there's... um. I'm going to give a big shout out to uh, Jason Crowderville, who is uh, the now former, he took a new position. Congratulations to him. But he was the uh, interim director at uh, State University of New York. Mm -hmm. And he pulled me into a working group that was using quantum physics to um, start to to help out with better understanding of weather and decision making and starting to look at the nuances. I I think there's, there's a lot of people who misunderstand emergency management and the fact that they think like everything we do is novice. You're like, no, this is basically project management. Like you could take this, you could, you can learn from other fields very quickly. And it, it shows why it, it, what you just said is critical for the argument of diversity of opinion, a diversity of thought, a diversity of background and surprise. You don't have to always go out and get more and more people. You can become more diversified. You can go yeah. out into the world. I, I, I always tell people that living in Japan a couple of times opened my eyes to different cultures and different ways of doing things. When I came back to the States, I found it disgusting when people walked in their house with shoes on. And I'm like, oh, you know, because again, I gained something from that culture and understanding like, you know, just a different perspective of how people live. Yeah. And so absolutely. like, uh, good call outs. So let's, let's kind of jump into the meat of the topic here for a second. You kind of alluded to already training and hazmat training. Sure. Um, and if training allows you to have diversity of thought, um, actually, I'm going to make one, one quick side note here. I have, you know, as noted, uh, working with NATO, um, urban warfare, emergency manager showing up, I felt, I felt like a duck out of the water. And then I realized like, oh, I can, I heard the pr- amazing presentation on the Mumbai attack. He ended up coming on the show. I heard an amazing presentation about, um, uh, a battle in Italy and taking over a city and I, for an hour and a half from the Canadian perspective. And I learned from that. And so like a, a guy who felt like a duck out of a water, all of a sudden was, was starting to putting some pieces together. Sure. And the same thing with you, sir. I've talked about that several times, their training regimen, the way they train, it's like, Oh, we need to do that emergency management. So anyways, if, if you're talking about training and getting better and doing something differently, what do you just like hope that emergency managers uh, in terms of the how how do they start doing training differently to improve so you know i'm trying to think back to when we we talked before we talked about you know the reasons why you do different exercises uh, mm. and you know there is always value in what i like to think of as the reassurance exercise where you know you're showing everyone that it works you know yeah. and no one's going to fail you know it's it's all kind of developmental um the uh, in the Would UK, you say that's the lowest form of training? If you had to put them in tiers? So, 
I don't know if I'd like to be forced on on value judgments of uh, maybe. Sorry. Maybe. It has a different purpose. So yeah. I, I, I don't think its purpose is really uh, to develop teams or individuals. Its purpose mm. is to it, it is for something else. It's for for, for validation confidence or validation. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not maybe not even validation really. Um, there's a very interesting dichotomy in the way in which uh, the US exercises from a military perspective in the UK. So the US tends to exercise to break, mm. um, you know, uh, stress test, uh, and there's a lot of value to that. The UK used to. Um, uh, and we move towards more of an observer mentor related exercise where we, we talk about a tipping point where you push the exercise to the point where just at the point where they're about to fail, you kind of dungeon master the exercise, just bring them back a bit. Um, and you kind of keep them at that learning zone. Uh, and I don't know if it's because maybe whoever was designing our exercises spends a lot of time in the gym and was thinking about training zones, but they like to sort of see that that zone where you're you're pushing people but you don't want the whole exercise to fall over and fail and those are great things too uncomfortable neither, zone yeah. yeah neither of them get diversity of thinking because both of them um are longitudinal you know we're going to start here we're going to end here and most exercise writers start with thinking okay so what's the scene scenario going to be and the moment they work out the scenario they kind of know what the end state's going to be mm. doubly so in emergency management because you know we want the end state to be some level life of safety yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so I know, I've, I've thought about this a lot and we've been trying to do it um by breaking up aspects of exercise and saying well okay let's reduce the number of people in the exercise we'll break this up and actually say what i want to see is i, I want to see that team do that task but at night or with um loads more press giving them stress or Mm. um, i want that commander to have um uh, a completely out there scenario hit him and see how or them and see how that that works for them um uh something i saw recently which was really fascinating was uh, a commander being judged on reputation management um which sounds a little commercial but it was far more about if we don't if, if we don't achieve a good effect um, in this recovery operation, mm. then uh, what's the impact going to be on us in terms of community engagement in the next exercise or the next operation? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe one of the ways to get that diversity of thinking is to, to, to break up bigger exercises into sort of smaller <laughs> vignettes where you yeah. can sort of, uh, like agile software processing, you know, have a sprint, you know, a mm. contained moment where you sort of push through something really quickly and then then sort of think about it spiral develop and, and try mm. again and move on but yeah just fascinating so i'm just going to give uh basically for terminology's sake for a couple of different uh for for our audience mm. so that agile methodology that um steve just mentioned there's essentially in terms of uh technologies and, and developing technologies there's I would say two really main of train of thoughts, at least in the US technologies perspective of waterfall methodology or agile. Agile says fail fast. You try to uh, figure out the, the best out- outcomes as fast as you can go and you're, you're just pushing. Waterfall is you go as long as you can and see if it makes sense. And this is typically from a financial perspective, but agile um, is a phenomenal way to look at emergency management. In fact, um, I, I, I don't talk about it on the show, but there was a period of time where I led business intelligence for a very large technology company that is a fruit. 
And, um, and that technology in that technology company, they were looking at, again, different methodologies and they decided to hire an emergency manager to help out with business intelligence. And so we just started looking at all these different methodologies and, um, agile, man, as I was looking through that, I was like, man, if, if we could take this methodology into planning assumptions and the planning process, your ability to fail, your, your, your potential of failure and a response would be dramatically reduced just by trying to fail fast in finding possible solutions. Yes. Won't work. Won't work. Yes. Will work, you know? And so uh, phenomenal call outs. And in fact, in fact, great reference uh, for people to, to learn more, maybe off, off scene. Mm. Um, in terms yeah. of the, the index and providing the, the different perspectives, um, what I'm hearing is maybe like more of a different hot wash model where the groups are all doing the same task, but differently and then doing hot washes and switching up the game on them. Um, one thing yeah. I find is I mentioned this to Colonel McKinney, who was just on the show and um, we call it adventure as you go. So we want to get to stopping points in uh, emergency management training where we literally ask them, you are supposed to be the decision maker. What's your decision? And whatever the decision is, that's uh, we have to change the exercise based off of their decision mm -hmm. and using like a, almost like an expert panel to say, hey, that that wouldn't be great. Or that that was you hit the nail on the head and allowing the exercise to naturally evolve by stressing them out to the point where they have to learn about compound decision making. Right. If what you did before doesn't automatically mean that you were successful. Right. So. Uh, I mean, I just, I could talk about that forever. So good call outs. It's lovely when you can try and do things like that. It, it is sort of difficult, particularly in sort of full scale exercises, because, you know, just the, the theater of, of, of organizing and logistics, mm. um, easier, maybe really with tabletop exercises, um, because that ability to kind of rewind and to think about so many computer games nowadays, when, when I was a boy and, you know, computers were a thing of the future, um, computer games were so <laughs> difficult you would spend mm. ages and you'd, you'd try really hard and you die and you go to the back of start the level. And it just, you know, it was just so frustrating And people realized, well, actually, if we want people to buy loads of computer games, what we need to do is create a more developmental approach to learning on the game. So mm. yeah, you die, but then you start straight back up again where you were and you can sort of, why if I went left that time, I'm going to go right this time and see what happens. Um, and there was some great work that Dartmouth college did on what they called virtue and practicum where, where you had this kind of simulation or tabletop on rails, but when it looked like someone was really going off the, the rails, you could like turn them back to the decision point and say, okay, you went left last time. That didn't work well, did it? Mm. You want to try a different decision and sort of that gives you a lot more opportunity to be able to, to sort of go back and practice. Very often when we only really hot wash at the end of a, a long phase of an exercise, you might talk about what you would have done differently, but what you miss is that mental mind frame of uh okay right well now i'm doing it again am i really going to operate like that mm. it's, you know 2020 hindsight vision um uh it's very easy in a hot wash to say oh well actually what i would have done would have been that and of course that would be fine next time yeah actually practicing it's a different matter well you're talking about testing too i've i you know i have two little kids and i had a conversation with my wife that when i i like video games when I lose in a video game and I have to restart one dud is frustrating, but there's nothing lost. 
It was just like, okay, just retry it out. And um, this is different than like everybody getting the trophy mentality. That's uh, very popular for our baby boomer generation to talk about. But it's um, it, it's something to think about if your test isn't about pass or fail, but your test is to go until you until you pass. That would change how people maybe test anxiety one. But to the idea of just like memorize and hopefully you get enough right, right answers and move on to the next test. But what if the, what if you had to get 100%? And if yeah. you failed, you have to go back and you go back and you go back until you get 100%. The people who were learning that information, even if the course flipped on its head where essentially they took the final first. If you took your test in the very beginning and, I don't know, 90% of those students got 30%, guess what you don't have to teach? Exactly. You don't have to teach that stuff because everybody knows it. But then yeah. you can, uh, and then you start learning the process until everybody got 100%. And then lo and behold, you know, people actually know the information. And unlike me who like took calculus in high school and like now I'm like, I don't know, I, I do math and I don't know, that's like, then you get close to that. So the concept you can use to describe that is um, a fixed outcome variable length. Um, so you know where you want people to go. Some people will get there faster. Mm. Um, others will take longer. And um, again, logistically, it can be a bit difficult to do both in exercises and training. But the benefit's massive because like in anything, you know, there'll be people in a training exercise or in a training course who are, you know, they don't need two weeks. They, they could actually pick it up much, much faster. Um, and holding them back can be very frustrating. Um, yeah. Sometimes, actually, you want people to go through as a cohort because you want that that, that infusion. But in a lot of other training scenarios, it's, it makes much more sense to allow someone to take longer if they need longer. Because mm. you want the person at the end to be at a good quality. And who cares if that takes longer if if you get the right outcome? Um, you know, up to up to certain limits. Well, there's um, there's. You talked about in the very beginning of this conversation about the support system. I also have a, a great wife who will, if I'm working late at night, she'll send me a text, come to bed. And she knows that it's time. Um, but like in, in terms of a cohort, I am so incredibly grateful for the cohort system that we did at Georgetown. Because not only have I had, you know, the great Steven Johnson uh, on this episode a couple times like and seriously and i i do actually mean that uh sin sincerely but i've uh, ashley loria golden who oh, was yeah. ashley loria at the time she's my coo of my company now i've had uh margaret larson on the episode on the podcast i've had uh eric hebenstell uh, on the podcast i've i'm maggie um is coming on to the show a different maggie right. um and and like just following up with different people and pinging them for advice uh, you know, whether we're in the field or not, I felt like when I walked into Georgetown, I I was pretty arrogant. One, I had taken some of the materials in my undergrad, but I was like, I've been a practitioner for a while. Uh, Ashley, Loria Golden at the time, Ashley Loria was a paramedic, mm. no EM experience, but guess what? She's caught up pretty fast. She's incredibly intelligent. And so, and, and she's had two EM jobs since then. And now she works for us. And like she's had all that diversity of experience as being a paramedic and a lead paramedic to make our company so much better. And so when I lowered my arrogance a little bit and realized I could learn from other people, it, 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 it was amazing how much, 
how much faster I was able to learn just by seeing their different per perspectives. So thank goodness for that cohort. Um, well, do you know what that, I think that brings up the other aspect of two things that what you've just said have sparked off in my head. One is um, one of the hardest things for people to ever do is to trust someone else to do something either for them to do it or to trust their idea. Mm. Um, and it's not always because we're bad people. It's because we don't, you know, if it goes wrong and it's our idea, we can blame ourselves. But, you know, so nice people are bad at listening to other people as well as interesting people. It's, it's a good it, point, you know, yeah. it, because it, it's difficult to trust like that. The, um, the other thing is, you know, within particularly within these cohorts, the cross support you can get can be really valuable. And one of the things I'm not really sure we ever really test very well in, particularly in the EM training, is, and there are some, some very good legal reasons why we don't always do this, putting people under genuine stress. Um, and, uh, you know, I think back to my officer training, we very specifically were put under stress um and if we if we were very fit they would find another way to make us stressed um mm. because not because they wanted to hurt us not even really because they wanted to sift us into who was good and who was bad but because if you don't know what your limits are that's a real gap in your knowledge i mean mm. you know you want to know what tools you've got in your toolbox you don't pick up a bag of tools or an em kit uh a paramedic kit um and don't not check what's in there so why would you go to an emergency without knowing what's in your own kit bag um mm. so you know how do i operate when i'm tired you know can i go all night um you know what happens when this ha happens how do i need to modify how i'm talking with people when i'm tired because i know that this happens or mm. that happens good point um you know all the way down to am i rubbish in the dark or can i navigate and is my map reading terrible mm. if you don't know those things and you don't know yourself how on earth can you know the team around you um so you know and i think that goes back to that point about how do you generate challenging scenarios for people and exercises and tabletops um the probably the best way i've ever seen anyone try to put a stress on that um uh, uh, within a sort of cohort ground was a police exercise where they would put the commander in the center of the room and around the commander they would have a whole group of people and he would have to make decision points about who could come in um so it'd be like mm -hmm. okay, who are you going to call in now and you call people in the other thing about it though is he would be judged so every time he made a decision or she made a decision, um, everyone had a red or green panel um, oh, man. on, you know, good or bad decision. And one that was quite end of interesting anyway, but actually it put a load of stress on the commander because suddenly they're feeling really, you know, everything's under scrutiny. So it's quite a nice light touch way of, of applying stress to someone um, without sort of breaking them because we don't want to break people. Uh, I, and I'm assuming that was done in the UK. Yes. Yeah, that is the most. So this is totally off topic, but um, the Great Baking Show, I think, is the name. Yes. The Bega. They're so polite, and I can. I I love how your version of stress was like the card. In the U.S., it'd be like, "Boo, you suck." Throwing stuff at them. Yeah, throwing stuff at them. No, we're not that rude. Hopefully, um, maybe they are in Texas. Um, this is a joke. Uh, so. <laughs> No, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal way to look at stress. Um, you know, I don't talk about this too much on the show, but I was a missionary and I had to speak Japanese. And so we would get into, we would call these mogis ex, uh, training or examples. And we would get 
two missionaries sitting across to the other two missionaries, and they would have to talk in Japanese. And um, it was always supposed to be like this positive thing, but what ended up happening is like the 40 other people in the room would uh, comment on your Japanese, your accent, your, oh, you used the wrong word, you used the wrong grammar point. And you're like, hey, you've been over here for like six months too, pal. Your Japanese sucks. But uh, you just had to like learn to take it. Um, and uh, it kind of helped out. You also mentioned high stress and knowing your limit. Um, I've told several people, and actually has mentioned this too about some of the people that we interview for jobs, is that they have no idea like what their limit is and or like at this current point, they would just won't make it in this field. And Ashley has been on incidents, you know, long-term incidents, both of an emergency manager and a paramedic that stretched her. I remember in Hurricane Harvey, the first time in my life that I knew I hit my limit. I didn't know what my limit was, but six weeks of no sleep, essentially dealing with, uh, now we're, we, we eventually essentially created a community lifelines for the first time for FEMA. We're trying to do things left and right. We had three type one events happening all at the same time. And I figured out what my limit was. And I also figured out what stops my limit. And you were talking about how you act when you're tired. I have zero filter when I'm tired and, uh, and my humor gets incredibly dark. So, you know, we were in a, we were in a room of like 26,000 people, the incident, the federal command, uh, federal coordinating officer gets up there and he says something totally bland is fine. Like in terms of any other context, but in, in a dark humor, it could have sounded sexual. And I said something to that. And all of a sudden, you, and we were, I was in the very back of like this stadium, essentially. And you just hear the rolling of the laughter as the, it gets close. And thankfully, for the sake of my entire career, he did not know it was me. But like, that's, that's just what it is. Like, you learn what you are when you're tired, you learn, you know, uh, what your breaking points are. And it's much better to get that in a training environment than in real life. Definitely. So. Good points. Um, okay. Well, this has been episode number two for you, and we're got to get number uh, three and four is going to happen sometime this year, hopefully. Awesome. No. Um, you know, you're doing so much on your plate. You have so much on your plate, as you noted, military, police, academia, and still willing to take the time to come on and, and share insights about training and, and um, perspectives of just how to manage general management uh, tips, self-management. And so I just like want to say thank you from um, the side of the show for, for taking the time to come on and listen to that beautiful uh, British uh, accent of yours. So. No, thank you. It's great learning from you as well. Of course. Um, I, I don't think anybody really learns from me. This is why I get the experts to come on to the show, and I just I fill up the other time. But um, Okay, everybody. We're going to do what we do as we always do, the shameless plug, and we always call it a shameless plug because it is. We need you to give us a five-star rating and subscribe to this podcast. We also want you to uh, put your comments. How do you figure out tr training exercises? What have you figured out as uh, you know your axioms, uh, you know, self-evidence truth of training and self-management that can help out the field? We would love to see that. If you have a question for Dr. Steven Johnson about what he was talking about, or you have insight that you think would be beneficial to him, which um, he's always learning, so I'm, I'm sure he'd be willing to take it. But if you can send us an email at info at DobermanEMG.com, we'll forward it on to him. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Keep tuning in.